My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Laws podcast, we listened to an interview of me that aired on the public radio international show The Takeaway with John Hockenberry. This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. The consequences of seeing yourself on TV, the consequences when you don't. Are the media around you a reflection of your community or an imposition from the outside of your own experiences? That's our focus this hour, and we begin with some tightly focused images. Are the cops on your side or not? And if they are, how can we evaluate their actions? In many cases, we can peer through the window of newly available web cameras and auto dash cams to see what happens at the time of a police shooting. There's also the window of history, fears we carry, aggressions we cling to. A mistrial was declared yesterday in the police shooting death of Walter Scott, whose shooting and subsequent death was captured on both cell phone and dash camera footage as he ran from an officer following a traffic stop for a non-working taillight. Michael Slager, a white North Charleston police officer, is seen shooting Scott, who is African-American, firing multiple rounds from behind while pursuing him. Slager testified in the trial that he was in total fear of his life. Jurors were dismissed over the weekend with all but one juror believing Slager was guilty. Deliberations continued most of the day Monday before the judge declared a mistrial. The panel's only black member, the jury's foreman, said there was just one juror with issues. Phil Stinson is a former police officer and currently an associate professor of criminology at Bowling Green State University's criminal justice program where he collects data on police-related shootings. A jury, he says, is also an imperfect window for seeing how a community applies its standards in cases like these. When I looked at this video, the first time I saw this video of this shooting, I, I was really shocked, frankly, because what we have there is Walter Scott running away from the officer and with his back to the officer, the officer shoots him dead. It was an execution. It was not justified, in my opinion. And then, even more shocking, the officer's very first uh, reaction, the very first thing he did was to run back and get his taser, which is about 60 feet away on the ground, and place it next to the fallen man's body. In other words, he planted evidence. And we've known for a long time that some dirty cops uh, plant evidence, that that happens, but we've never seen it on video before. And it, it's really troubling, and it's, it's a really a, a view into the police subculture that the general public uh, doesn't often see. Well, that's what's so puzzling about this case. I mean, I'm looking through that window just like you are. I'm shocked just like you are. I'm feeling as though uh, my safety as a citizen, is compromised by the idea that someone who in one moment says, I'm fearing for my life, and the next moment is like covering up evidence, that it's all a bunch of baloney. Why did they walk free? Well, you know, I, I ask myself this question every day, and, and one of the things that, that I, I keep coming back to, I wonder if, uh, if, frankly, they're overcharging the officers. In other words, it would, be, it would be a lot easier to prove negligence if they had just gone with that, if they had gone with a lesser degree of homicide, so a manslaughter charge from the beginning. Another thing they could do is there's a charge, it's an odd name, but it's called felony murder, and that's when someone commits a killing during the act of some felony. And we've seen that specifically in the state of Georgia. They seem to use that more often in these police shooting cases. And it's resulted in getting convictions uh, more often than not. And so it's a tough thing. But the prosecutor has to, in, in any case, make sure that they can prove the elements of the crime or crimes that they charge. And we're seeing it over and over again. They're just not going to be able to make murder ca uh, cases out in uh, the most egregious of situations, the most shocking of situations, as we have here in uh, the video we all saw with Michael Slager. Does the prosecution have a choice of whether to retry this or not? 
Oh, absolutely. And they are going to retry it. But more importantly than that, you know, there are some other avenues that can be taken and are being taken in this case. So there are uh, statutes that are federal criminal deprivation of civil rights laws. So 18 U.S.C. 242. And under that, the, historically, what that's been used for is when a when a uh, state has failed to prosecute or failed to successfully prosecute a police officer, they come in after that and try an officer. And that's what we saw in the Rodney King case, for example, many years ago with Stacey Kuhn and the other police officers out there in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was successful, that prosecution, whereas the state had not been as successful before that. So Slager is facing a federal trial for criminal deprivation of civil rights uh, and some firearms charges uh, coming up. And I think there's a, a better chance that he'll be convicted at that trial. And then the prosecutor has to make a decision, are they going to retry Slager? And if so, uh, what charges? And, and they've already said, yes, they're going to retry Slager. But that's not always the case in this uh, type of situation. We've seen it in a few instances recently, one in, in uh, North Carolina just a few weeks ago where the decision was made initially not to charge an officer. Uh, and, and we've seen it over and over again where once there's been an unsuccessful prosecution, the state declines to re-prosecute uh, re the case. They don't, they don't try it again. They just figure they're not going to be able to get a conviction and they drop it. And that's troubling. So, so I I think it's important that we've got the federal charges pending. It's a little bit odd that the feds got out in front here and their case is ready to go to trial uh, pretty soon now. Usually they wait until the states failed to uh, successfully prosecute. But I think that's a good thing. And that's exactly why that law is there. And so for now, it's wait and see. The streets are calm. I hope the streets are calm, but you know what? If it were a hot summer time now, I, I don't know that that would be the case. But, uh, you know, uh, cooler minds are, are uh, prevailing at this point, and I think that's important. And it's really uh, says a lot about the local community in North Charleston that, that, that they're able to hold it together because these are not easy times for the people that live there and in other areas where, uh, uh, across the country. Phil, thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Philip Simpson is associate professor at Bowling Green State University's criminal justice program. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast. The interview was recorded for The Takeaway on PRI. Support for the Police Integrity Loss Podcast was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash police integrity lost.